Welcome to the hellish nightmare that is See For Yourself, the only podcast that stalks you, not because of any nefarious intent, but because we love you. I am your host, Mike Ondolenses, and I am joined here today by... I am caffeine-free. As we all should be. <laughs> I have a, uh, a pretty interesting movie for you today, and uh, I hope you haven't seen it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. This is going to be the one movie I saw. The one movie that I did a dissertation about in fake college. <laughs> The the last year of high school, you had a, an incredibly eccentric, I guess, like world literature teacher. And they were just like, you know what? For world literature, we're going to study a movie. Wouldn't that be cool, everybody? And I picked this fucking movie. <laughs> it's Shrek. It's just Shrek. It's just Shrek, yeah. The movie for today is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. No, but once again, I haven't seen it. It is a 2002 drama rated R. Oh, and- good golly. And the plot synopsis reads as follows. A man whose sister is suffering and needs costly medical aid is fired from his factory job. He must now find help for her by whatever means necessary. And that's it. Today's movie is a movie uh, that I have already seen and that our dear sweet compatriot uh, Caffeine or Mr. Free has not seen. I find the title so much more interesting than the blurb. What a a cool title, right? Right? Tell me everything you, you think about the title. Give me give me the whole shebang. Fucking hit me with it. I'm gonna assume the man trying to save his sister is uh, the Mr. Vengeance referenced in the title. And so I'm wondering just how far off the deep end he's gonna go. Like, what heinous shit he's gonna do. And how they're gonna make us feel sympathetic for him. Don't you already feel sympathetic for him? Right out of the blurb, you should be like, oh, his sister's having a rough time. He gets fucking fired. Like, this is tough stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's really rough. But then, then we get hit with the the rated r thing and i'm like oh is he just gonna wild speculation this is just face off he's gonna go back into the factory and murder his boss and and wear his boss's face and and extort money from the company and that's how he saves his sister oh wow so like embezzlement he'll just start doing embezzling stuff yeah embezzling but he's been fired so it's like he has no ties to the company but that's where the vengeance comes in that the boss that fired him he goes and yeah all right maybe less wild speculation it's not actually face off but maybe he kidnaps the guy or something like that okay so straight into kidnapping here you're already like you're like this has got to be a kidnapping story it was made in 2002 they weren't that creative back then <laughs> I, I thought it was a really creative idea thanks for shooting <laughs> my life right there <laughs> i was breaking the mold and you're like yeah yeah kidnapping we've all done it you know they were a bunch of rube idiots back in 2002 right that's why you mentioned that yeah <laughs> it'd take a real dummy to suggest that <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. If you think if you think kidnapping is the best idea you're ever gonna have, I'm sorry. It's a great idea, it really is. It could be super cool in this movie. <laughs> I sure um, I sure love having sympathy for people who kidnap other people. That's what I love to do. I'm like, I feel bad for that guy because he had to kidnap that person. I'm sure it was a lot of hassle. <laughs> well, you know, maybe the guy's a real asshole, and like maybe the whole movie is about him like realizing like, hey, this guy's just doing his job. He's not really an asshole. But I don't I don't actually like that story that I just said because um. I, I don't enjoy having sympathy for capitalists. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard. And, like, it's weird that you're the, the first person you want him to take out is, like, the person firing him. He's like, yeah, get that guy. And, like, I don't know. Is, is it possible that he could be laid off instead of fired? And maybe it just says fired in the blurb, you know? I mean, I guess that that's a possibility, right? Like, there's just a mass layoff, and he just happens to catch the broadside of it. It's not actually targeted at him. Any, it's like, hey, you know, we're downsizing the whole department's down. Best of luck to you all. And it's like, he targeted me because he's uh, actually like a sociopath or something like that. I mean, yeah, that's possible. I should say, maybe to help you to make some more wild speculation, this is a Korean film. Oh, so Face Off is back on the table. 
<laughs> we, I don't think we've ever done a Korean film on the podcast now that I'm thinking about it, have we? Um, no. No, we did Itchy the Killer, but that's Japanese. Aren't we very popular in Korea? The Koreans love us. Is that why we're doing this movie now? We're, we're pandering now? Wait, we have second, to. We're just shilling for the freaking Korean overlords. I don't know anything about Korean film. Oh, I know. You, you're going to learn today, buddy boy. Woo! Yeah, right? I'll just put my two cents in here. And I'm pretty ignorant to Korean film as well. I really only know the one director, maybe more than that now. But I would say that Korean films are pretty high concept stuff, typically. And if it's not high concept in the literal going-ons of the film, it's high concept emotionally. You are supposed to have big emotional reaction, and it's supposed to be talking about something that's a societal issues that are very real at the time and probably ongoing real because history seems to want to repeat itself constantly. No, that's fair. Um, I also don't know about the societal issues of Korea. What are some societal issues that you could associate with the film from your experience right now? Maybe there'll be some, some crossover. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that this like really ties into the capitalism bad thing that I, I was like joking about earlier. Cause, cause I don't know. That's there. There's like an ongoing phenomenon right now where everybody's like, I'm a hospital bill away from, being homeless and um i think a lot of people can relate to that sure yeah it feels like just about everybody is struggling with the idea that one day you could break your ankle and then that's it you're done you're bankrupt now yeah i I don't know if it's the same in korea i I don't know how their economy works it's like uh i don't know other other countries aren't nearly as fucked up as as we are i don't know korea's situation either but i imagine it's very possible they could have a similarly fucked up medical situation especially if the blurb is any indicator like it seems like they don't have any means to just say oh yeah the government will take care of this yeah so i'm wondering if that's what they're going to be talking about and it's not just like this isn't just like some some guy hitting too many roadblocks and then going insane when i was saying that this was a drama film we were watching you kind of noted that it was it was strange that it was an R rating or that that was like uh, some sort of an indicator for you. What's the craziest thing that a drama film such as this could do to get an R rating? What's like something just what's the wildest thing? You know, I got to say I don't think you said that it was a drama. I don't think I, you mentioned the genre, did you? I did, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've been trying to do that more. <laughs> I uh, I must have missed that because I just assumed since you brought me an R-rated Korean film it was going to be a horror of some sort. Nope. Fascinating. Um Face-offs back off the table. Um, <laughs> Face-off is now definitively a horror film. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's funny that you keep bringing up Face-off because, you know, uh, John Woo directed Face-off. Uh, I don't know if that's like, if you were you know, thinking, oh, John Woo, that could be a Korean guy. I don't know. No, I, I just assumed that this was going to be a horror film. And so he was going to find some really fucking bizarre way of saving his sister and, and Face-off came to mind. Hmm, I appreciate that. But yeah, what's the what's the crazy way this thing's going to deserve an R rating? An R rating, but it's is it like specifically not a horror? It's just drama? What could drama give you an R rating? This is an R rating in in America, I assume, right? Like Yes, yes, the MPAA gives an R rating. So so as far as I understand it, there is no other film rating system that has R in it. Okay. There are other film rating systems across the world in other countries, but the R well, yeah, is... Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at there. I don't know if Korea has its own rating system. Like, is this very tame for Korean film standards? And we're just like, whoa, that's fucking wild. Slap an R on it. <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking, like, if I were in your shoes right now, which I am not, I know exactly what fucking happens here. When I hear, do what is necessary, for some reason, I'm quick to think, well, maybe he performs the surgery himself or whatever. Like, whatever his sister needs, 
he does it himself. Like he takes on the the aspect of being a doctor. Jesus. And that's that's why we're sympathetic to him because that's a terribly difficult job and we see how hard it is and all the complications that arise and it's difficult for him, you know? That's what makes it sympathetic. So that's an interesting idea because he's a factory worker. It's not like he's he's a doctor and he's just like, "Oh, I'm an, I'm an orthopedic and, you know, that I have to do this incredibly elaborate spinal surgery." You know, it's not like that. He's a factory worker. So what if he's just like what if he's the guy maintaining the assembly lines, like the robotics and stuff like that? And so whatever it takes is fucking him replacing bits and pieces of her with fucking like assembly line robotics. He turns her into a sweet ass robot. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Sympathetic. I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's also interesting that the title has the first word is sympathy and the last word is vengeance. I think that's kind of interesting and cool. You kind of answered one of my follow-up questions is what is his job as a, a fa in a factory? What could he possibly do? And you sort of answered that question. What's wrong with his sister? What's up with that? I know in like your average run-of-the-mill film, it's, it's like unspecified cancer, but like... What if it's something really fucking atrocious? In, like, what What if in Korea they're like, oh, cancer, yeah, yeah, that everybody gets cancer. She's got flesh-eating bacteria, and she's, like, slowly losing fucking bits of her. She's She's got leprosy. Sure. How old is his sister? I just kind of assumed that she'd be, like, a similar age. In, in my sensibilities, it's like, well, if she's the same age, then shouldn't she, like, also be able to take care of herself? Like, why does it matter that he got fired? But, um... I don't know, maybe maybe family bonds are more important to other people or elsewhere. And it's also probably worth noting that like there's a serious possibility if your flesh is rotting off, they don't want you anywhere. Right. Because that's that's another thing that like is really fucked up about the medical situation is if you have such a medical issue that you can't work anymore, how do you make the money to pay for your medical bills so that you right. can start going back to work? And the answer is you just go into horrifying debt until you're well enough to get back to work, and then you start or trying you to pay die. off your debt, or yeah, or you die, or you go bankrupt, and you never get better. So that's the other thing. There are some issues you can have medically where you never do get better, and it's always in that in such a way that you can't work anymore. So you think that she's got she's got leprosy style like flesh eating virus thing going on, still well enough to work. Well, clearly she's not well enough to work, which is why it's like why he's got to take care of her. I don't know. I think for the story that I'm planning in my head, her age doesn't quite matter because, you know, she's she's got, you know, limbs falling off her fucking skin coming off, whatever. So, yeah, I imagine she can't work. And so I can't imagine it changes the story that much if she's like, you know, maybe maybe he's in his 30s and like she's in her early 20s. But like. Her being in her early 20s doesn't change a lot if she's like six, you know, like she's still got a disease and can't work and is dependent on him. Do they live together? Do you think? I do. I, I do think that. For some um, reason, in, in my mind, it's more tragic if they don't live together, right? Like she just has to like put on a brave face whenever he's around. And then as soon as he leaves, she's just like screaming and crying in pain every night. Every morning I break my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like that's that's really sad and tragic and it would generate a lot of sympathy from me. Where's the where's the vengeance? Maybe maybe the drama has nothing to do with the cure. No, because the blurb makes it seem like the drama has everything to do with the cure. I don't know. I had this really neat idea that it's like you know the 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 cure for the disease is wrapped up really early in the movie, and then he's like, "Well, now you owe me," and that's where the drama comes from. I don't uh, feel like that's what it's gonna be, but I think that'd be interesting. Is it possible that he somehow finds a way very early on to pay for the medical problems, but then greedy like medical capitalists? 
sort of sweep the rug out from under him and then he tries to get vengeance against them yeah i guess you know how much of the movie is focused on like him carrying his sister and how much on the fact that like because i feel like him getting fired has to be like a big portion of this film right i mean that sounds sounds good to me i i should say the movie is two hours and ten minutes long do you feel like the movie is going to use that time well i mean i hope so right i just don't know the type of things that like korean film talks about like you know when we did titan and you were like oh you know uh french film is known for like sexual freedom or something like that what is korean film known for in a similar sense well here man let's just pretend you didn't hear that it was a korean film how would you what would you think like what are the things that you think they'd be talking about what were the things you think they'd be doing you can just say from my american experience these are the types of things that are typical the the typical thing in my mind is that this is like some revenge plot you know he was he was on the cusp of curing his sister and like now he's got to go guns blazing back to the factory like that sounds like the very american way of doing it right yeah it seems uh it's interesting to me that you've created this like dichotomy of like the medical stuff for the good guys they're gonna help her something bad happens and that something is he loses his job and now he has to get vengeance on his his, his factory his immediate basically. supervisor it's interesting that that's the way you went with it and not the other way because, like, both parties are kind of evil in a way, right? Like, it's the medical bills that are stopping him from curing her, and it's the job that he gets fired from that's stopping him from being able to pay the medical bills. But if the medical bills didn't exist, we wouldn't have a problem here. It could just be she's cured. We have two sides of villainy here that he could potentially be getting vengeance upon, or maybe both. Yeah, no, that's fair. Do you think the sister contributes in any way to the vengeance? I don't think that. I think there might be a scene later on where she's like, oh, I'm so grateful that you've blah, blah, blah. But then she like finds out whatever it was that he's been doing and like is disgusted by it. That sounds like something that would happen. That's a that's a safe uh, answer. Do you think the sister survives this story? Do you think the brother survives this story? It would be really tragic if she didn't and he did. That would generate like that. a lot of sympathy from me. Yeah, I think that's how it's going to go. I, I don't think she's going to survive her transformation into a assembly line robot. And does he like go to jail? Maybe he'll, that sounds like really mundane. I hate that we do this sometimes. But I feel the need maybe to point this out. You've kind of, and not totally, not 100%, but kind of just made Frankenstein, basically. Ah, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was was preaching face-off, and really, I'm just Mary Shelley today. Yeah, well, we should all try our best to be Mary Shelley on any given day. This is Korean Frankenstein. It was made in 2002, so I don't know if you're like, yeah, in 2002, those Koreans over there were just like, Mary Shelley is an inspiration. We're just going to make all of our stuff based off of all of her stories. And the first one we're going to do, starting in 2002, good old Frankenstein. Yeah, I like it. I'm, I'm on board. I'm kind of hoping for it now. Are there going to be any other characters in this story that are worth noting? Anybody who like is important to the characters, who they rely on, or who they who help them out, or... Convince them not to do what they're doing, anything like that. So I'm wondering if the factory worker dude, maybe he's kind of, you know, like antisocial or whatever, but he's got like one drinking buddy who he's, you know, he like drunkenly explains his plan to. I was actually wondering, clearly their parents can't be around, right? Like that's why, like either their parents are dead or in a home facility. In um, some way unable to help, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. What if whatever is killing uh, the sister also killed their parents? Oh, it's just genetic. And he didn't get it because he's adopted. Mm, that could be cool. 
<laughs> yeah, I like that. Are our characters going to look cool and interesting like JoJo's villains? Or are they going to be run-of-the-mill everyday people to like highlight that, that they're just like us? They're normal. You know, I made my grandiose prediction that she's got like ultra leprosy. But um, like, I really think she's just going to be like typical actress in a hospital bed. Well, they don't have money. They can't put her up in a, in a hospital bed. That's she's right. That's just yeah. going to be in, in, at her bed. And in in my head, I see him as like some fucking like you know he's got he's got the wrinkles of his stressful job like on his face and shit like that, and uh, he's just like a very beat up looking dude. What if he gets fired because he looks so eccentric? Oh god, that does happen, doesn't it? Oh yeah, people do that, and especially like in other countries. I I can't speak to Korea, but other countries sometimes they're very strict about that stuff. They want you to look like a nine to five. I come in, I I do my hard work, I clock out, I'm willing to do overtime. You you got to look like your back is about to break. I've definitely heard stories of you know someone getting written up because their car was too old. It's like you know you look like somebody who's in financial troubles. So uh, we're gonna increase those financial troubles by firing you because yeah. you don't look like you could be working here. It's a very real thing, man. It's, it's it's ripe for the for the guessing, but hey, you know we've kind of uh, gone back and forth here for for quite some time. I guess I guess this is about that time where I, I try to ask: Are there any more predictions you'd like to make before we go in? Is there anything you're really hoping to see? Anything you're hoping not to see? I'm hoping this is like some eye-opening thing. I really hope this isn't some, you know, my my very safe, typical American film predictions. Like, I hope this is something really special, and I'm like, oh man, Korean film is something something different, and something unique, and, and like, has its own fucking whatever. I wish I'd made some more wild predictions, but like... If it, if it means anything to you, I really liked he turns her into, like, a robot. Like, he does <laughs> robot <laughs> stuff. I think that's cool. I think that's really neat. That doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> We'll we'll have to find out. We'll have to uh, see for ourselves. Well, on that note, we are gonna go and watch the movies, and I implore you, audience, to take this time, if you haven't already, to see for yourself. are back from watching the movie. I mean, I already know how I feel about the movie, and I, my feelings about the movie only grow stronger with each viewing. Mr. Caffeine Free, please enlighten me. What were your thoughts? Where did your mind drift while watching this film? I'm, I'm gonna leapfrog around a little bit right here, because there's three things that came to mind as very good and interesting. First off, I want to say I love that we finally had a movie where the bad guy was not some mustache twirling villain. The, the person that you really feel is supposed to be the protagonist ends up being like the bad guy and then like the bad guy becomes the protagonist but then he's also the bad guy and then everybody dies at the end. I love that. That felt really good to me. I uh, thought that the ambiguous villain aspect of this movie would really resonate well with you. I loved it. If this is if this is something that Korea just has on tap, I'm just going to start watching Korean movies from now on because that shit was perfect for me. You know, you can... You can empathize. The, the sympathy, who is Mr. Revenge? Everybody's Mr. Revenge. And, like, I can sympathize with every single one of them. I loved it. And then the other two things I wanted to bring up were just, like, interesting visual things that they did. When the guy's watching the autopsy of his daughter and he's, like, really getting bent up about it. First off, the, the audio in that fucking scene. That was great. Just really 
visceral audio in that scene. But he's he's tearing up about it and he's freaking out. And then later on in the movie, he sees the second autopsy for uh, Ryu's sister there, and he's yawning, like actively yawning. And I, I thought that was like an interesting thing to like show his drop in humanity or something like that. His indifference to the the suffering of others, yeah. yeah. Like at this point, he's just he doesn't care. These people are evil. It does a good job of showing his journey. It almost feels like he sort of feels bad for Ryu by the end because I think as viewers we learn to sort of recognize that Ryu and Mr. Park are effectively the same character, right? Like, they almost one for one, they, like, tit for tat, lose in the same ways. Yeah. And, like, go on the same revenge story. It's it's incredibly close. And there's a lot of scenes where they will cut to Mr. Park, like, st- stretching his neck and sort of cracking the bones in his, in his neck, and then cut to Ryu doing the exact same thing. And it, it's through this editing that we can see that there's a visual metaphor, a juxtaposition metaphor, because we're placing these right next to each other, you're supposed to think, oh, they're the same. The movie's saying they're the same. And it seems almost like Mr. Park knows that by the end of the movie when he's saying, hey, I know you're you're mostly a good guy. He says that to him as he's about to kill him. I, I hope you understand why I have to kill you. And it, it seems like Ryu does. Like he reaches out for him, not in like a threatening way, but as a I understand kind of way. It feels like to me anyway, like it's almost like he's saying, yeah, we were going to try to kill each other, but you bested me and I would do the same thing if I were in your shoes. So I understand. I, I thought it was pretty artistic the way that like uh, the way that Ryu dies is very similar to how his sister died. It seems like Mr. Park was trying for that almost. I can't tell if this was like a part of his revenge was taking him to the place where his daughter died, making sure he dies in a similar fashion to her, or if it was like, I'm going to take you to the resting place that you took your sister to bury her. And in that way, that's like a kindness I'm doing for you. Does he not recognize that this is something of a kindness for Ryu to take him to that place that like he, you know, valued? I mean, he obviously wouldn't know that Ryu and his sister would play there as children. And that's why Ryu took his sister there. But it it does seem like it's sort of accidentally a, a, a nicety that he's doing for Ryu. Right. I don't think he intended... I, I don't think he was aware of how Ryu's sister died, so I don't think that has anything to do with it. But, like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's something in both of those, in, in how his daughter died and also how Ryu's sister died. It's, Whether it was intentional by him or not, I think it's well, just a great well, thing well, for the audience. Hold on. Uh, he should know how Ryu's sister dies, because the autopsy would show that she, she slit her wrists. Oh, that's right. He was there for the autopsy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, he, yeah. he would know that. But, but like, the whole, she slit her wrists in the bathtub, like, that's an oddly specific, that's something you're not going to catch in well, the bathtub. they wouldn't know that, like, she did it in the bathtub, but, like, the slit wrists are there, and the blood is, like, out of them. They, they, they know, they can see that. No, no, for sure, but I mean, like, uh, the, you know, he cuts the guy's, whatever. The tendons. The, yeah, yeah. The Achilles uh, like tendon, under, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and he bleeds out underwater, which is what I thought was the nice artistic part of it. Well, so they don't make it clear exactly how he dies. They do make it clear that he cuts the tendons. It does seem like he's dead when he's carrying him to shore, but he could have drowned or he could have died from blood loss. I would think blood loss because he's already losing a lot of blood from his uh, stab wound, and then he also gets his legs cut that way. Blood loss seems like the most appropriate thing, but it would also be very easy for him to, you know, just go below the waterline and drown a lot faster than he could die of blood loss, potentially. Uh, this is just you know, me speculating. Dominate- it's, it's again very artful for it to be am- ambiguous about that because like in one hand he dies like his sister and in one hand he dies like Mr. Park's daughter. Yeah. I had forgotten how the clever editing in this movie, one, saves a lot of money on what would otherwise probably be like expensive scenes and two, saves a lot of time 
This movie has a lot of stuff happening in it, and they skip over with some clever editing a lot of the stuff that's like it would have taken a lot more time, like showing the actual kidnapping. Because most kidnappings aren't all that terribly interesting. You kind of just like convince the girl that you're a friendly face, and then she goes with you because she's a child. She doesn't know any better. They didn't really show that. They showed the one scene where they play around in the park a little bit, but uh, that's about it. I also thought it was neat how like um, it would have been very difficult to convince me that this person was eating somebody's kidneys but just you know he's chewing something and there's blood in his mouth and like we don't you know i'm like wow that's really weird and then they wrap that up just a little bit later they do they do bring it back up later on that was something i didn't catch in my first viewing of this movie and i thought for a little while that it was kind of weird in this viewing of it but then i thought more about it and i was like it really is just a disrespect thing he's ruining their kidneys for any other possible like organ dealers in the area you know it's it's almost like he's saying like i've conquered you i've 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 really defeated you in the way that you tried to defeat me by stealing my kidney and, and having that over me. Now I've taken your kidneys and they're mine now. They're in me. On the topic of kidneys, by the way, there was that scene where he's just sitting there drinking fucking like two liters of water and then peeing back into him. And I was like, this is a very strange scene to be shoving in here. And then as he drives away and I realize how much he's pissed and like how much water he must have drank to do that. And his piss is still like very dark. It's because he's missing a kidney. We had to bring that up again. So I don't know exactly how that works from a medical standpoint, but I do think that Ryu gets associated with water and liquids a lot, like a lot, a lot. And this brings us to one of the one of the points that I think a lot of people are going to bring up is the out of nowhere poltergeist scene where there's the ghost of the dead daughter in Mr. Park's apartment or and his house. She like disappears from the family photo or whatever. Yeah, so it's it's pretty clear this is a dream of some kind, right? Right. It's pretty obvious he fell asleep while watching whatever documentary he's watching or whatever. He's dreaming about getting to hold her one more time and have like a nice conversation with her it would be easy to point out like but the next day when he was talking to a real person in the morning the camera pans over to a puddle of water on the ground and like i think that that puddle of water is supposed to be metaphorical more than it is literal which is hard to say because a lot of people are like no but i can see it i can see it right there it's on the screen I think that's why it's like worth noting the editing in some of these scenes. Like you remember the scene where uh, Ryu picks up the corpse of the daughter, Yusun. Yeah. He picks up Yusun and then places her onto the shore. And then it cuts to Mr. Park looking at the, the dead body of Yusun and crying. And it looks like in that moment for based on the editing and everything, it's a little confusing. It looks like Ryu literally handed the corpse over to Mr. Park. Like he's handing himself into Mr. Park and admitting what he did. But then the camera pans out and it's clear that Mr. Park is, there with like an investigation team with the the police and the scuba divers and everything looking through the river for you know dead bodies and whatnot i think it's the same thing where they're just there it's implying ryu ryu is water he's constantly being placed in or around water he has fear surrounding water he has loving memories about water water is a constant theme for ryu so to have the daughter appear in his dream and have water all over her and water on the ground it's the movie subtly reminding us that the weight of Ryu's actions and the things that he's done are still haunting Mr. Park, even if he doesn't know who Ryu is. His presence is still there. Yeah, I had other things to say, and I'm like, I'm, I'm blanking on him right now. It's okay. We here at See For Yourself really struggle with drama movies, like low-to-the-ground, real-to-life drama films. We do really poorly with these types of movies because, like, there's not a whole lot of, like, well, I didn't really get it. It's kind of all right there. Yeah, there wasn't a really, rather than talking about the themes, like, everything I have to say that 
that's like amazing about this movie is just like god the editing or just like the choices that they made like i do think you know you kid kidneys process your piss so i, I, I think that was important there but i sure, also yeah. like that the the dude had um a second fucking payoff for his like magic electric machine yeah it was nice to get to see that he had he's clearly mastered how to use this thing and it, and it plays into his character he is an electrician that's what yeah. he did out of high school it would make sense that he'd know how to do that it's not like just a lot of these like uh movies about uh revenge plots the revengeancer the vengeance person has a tool that he uses that isn't connected directly with his character like who he is and both of our vengeancers use a weapon that is connected with their character reuse weapon of choice is the baseball bat and he uses that because when he was enraged by the doctors telling him like yep you lied to us about your blood type and you gotta keep saving money because you can't afford to do all this stuff take your sister home and wait for the transplant to happen are you fucking they're talking to him like he's stupid by the way because that's how people talk to deaf people for some reason which by the way makes it even harder for deaf people to read your lips when you're fucking yelling you're yelling and you're like over enunciating your words and it looks like a different word to them reading your lips yeah so he's fucking pissed and it immediately cuts to him at the batting cages just swinging swinging his bat and i thought that was cool that that was his weapon of choice later on in the movie and the same is true for mr park who talks about how he was an electrician and now he's the head of this company that like does something involving electricians and, and engineers and other stuff and welders and other i don't i don't know exactly what his company does so he knows you know he knows how to use electricity so it would make sense that he would use it to torture people and or set up a trap i'm glad you brought up the welders because um that first scene where the the guy's basically like committing seppuku in front of mr park's car budget seppuku <laughs> Yeah, budget seppuku with the fucking box cutter that, like, didn't even make it enough to kill him. Because then he goes home and decides to poison his whole family. I thought, so that scene is a little confusing for me a little bit. Because it's it's super tragic, right? And very difficult. And it sets up for a very impactful moment later on when Mr. Park is like, yes, I'm his dad. Like, tell me how he's doing. And the doctor's like, if I were very optimistic, I'd say that there's hope. Which is, like, the worst thing a doctor can say, basically. But it's still interesting that he tried to put a positive spin on it. And then the final line, this, like, comes up three times basically more than three times because you get to see him like going and visiting him in the hospital but the final line you hear from the hospital about that kid is hey he's dead you need to come to the morgue to like get his body and whatnot and he just says you've got the wrong number he completely abandons it all it's not useful to him anymore he's done with it you know well yeah because like uh i feel like there's a regression here where you know he's like I'm, I'm so torn up about my kid dying that, like, I sold my company and, like, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he's, like, pulling away from all of that. And I feel like when he finds, you know, the Welders family that basically, like, he, I think he feels responsible for that, like, personally. And, like, that was going to be his redemption arc. It's like, no, 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 I caused this, but I can fix it with my money and, like, I'll bring it Ex to the exactly. hospital. Yes, yes. And then by the time he gets, like, hey, the kid's dead, it's like, oh, I this is no longer important to me. I am not trying to be the hero. I I know I am as bad as the man I just killed. It's even more tragic than we realize because if the movie had just ended like after he kills Ryu, right? We could postulate that he goes back to the hospital and takes care of that other man's child as his new father. We could say that's it's kind of a happy ending for Mr. Park. He goes on to like father the child and you know, because up until then, and this is another brilliant thing, we are told that the terrorist group that uh, I think her name is Cha. It, it was uh, a terrorist group of one. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's what the police think. But then it turns out by the end, it is not. It's just a very smart terrorist group that makes the police think there's only one member. Oh, yeah. No, I saw saw that. As soon as they rolled up in the Jeep and it was just like, he looks over at the other guy and he's like, gives him the one nod. And I'm like, oh, shit, there was more of her. Yeah, yeah. So I I really loved that. I did kind of hate how they gave the actual voice line from Cha, where she says, oh, if you do this to me, my terrorist organization will come and get you 100% for sure. Yeah, it, it really feels like they're disrespecting the viewer as like an idiot. Yeah, like that. Like, that remember? Felt, yeah, it felt pretty redundant. Like at this point, if you don't get it, and they use the like note that she wrote at the beginning of the movie too, and they had the picture and the everything, you know? Like I understand him wanting to ask, who are you people? Because he didn't think she was serious. Well, yeah, but, like, I mean, he could have... He could have done that and then like they they spent kind of a long time with him like making stupid faces trying to read the upside down note pinned to his chest they could have just done that i don't know maybe i'm overestimating uh the average film goer he he gets a very cool death despite it looking kind of dumb narratively and emotionally it's really impactful just because you don't really see it coming you've been led to believe that's not gonna happen and then it does and that's kind of cool i also like how kind of at the end mr park is like smoking which is sort of like fire the opposite of water and that's him like indicating to the audience like i've overcome ryu he's the water underneath me and i'm the fire above him but then when the the terrorist group shows up they're all smoking (laughs) (laughs) the only thing that can crush a fire is more fire (laughs) i don't know if that was intentional or if it's just like this is realistic this is how you show somebody in korea being like a badass as you have them smoking i don't know right it's it's the sign of corruption or something like that yeah yeah it's can be used very thematically but it isn't always Sometimes it really is just, we thought this looked cool. <laughs> what did you think of the the relationship between Cha and Ryu? So they had that, that that sex scene there. And I wonder if this is just like how deaf people have sex. It's like, you know, they got, they got a sign at each other to like show that they're into it because, you know, you can't hear how into it they are. But yeah, she has that thing where it's like, you know, when, when we were going to school or, or, you know, when we first started dating, you were like an ant. You know, ants are psychic. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And then they cut to the weird police mannequin with the fly on his face. I didn't understand that. Like, I didn't understand that whole scene. So the line is, when did you know, when did you first know that we would become like this? And he responds, from the moment I saw you. She responds, you're like an ant. And he goes, an ant? And she says, they're sort of psychic. They can tell when earthquakes or hurricanes are coming. This is implying that Cha is a natural disaster. And that Ryu is sort of just an insignificant individual, basically. Cha is kind of like pulling the strings the entire time. She's more the main character than Ryu is in a way. She sort of I gives mean, him the is, eye. She's the one actively doing things. Like, uh, Ryu is very, like, reactionary throughout the whole thing. It's like, and now because my kidney was taken, I'll go kill this guy. And like, and now because, you know, you've been killed, I'm going to go kill this guy. And Cha is like actively planning, you know, this heist. And she's like actively, you know, spreading this this leftist propaganda with her flyers and actively tracking down the organ people. Yeah, and I think that the fly on the face is supposed to represent a couple of different things, but kind of importantly, a fly on the wall is like someone watching you, right? Like that's the the analogy, like, you know, if I could be a fly on the wall in that room. And I think that that's to imply that Mr. Park is sort of like, eventually he'll be watching her and he'll be closing in on her. But also a fly in the face is sort of like an, like an insult almost. And I think it's supposed to imply that this is sort of a backhanded comment, kind of. She is a, a hurricane or an earthquake and he's an ant. You know what I mean? Right. This is my favorite sex scene in all of cinema history that I'm familiar with. Uh, I look forward to finding new sex scenes that I'll come to love and enjoy, but I really, really love 
this particular one just because you know it's a deaf guy and a lady who knows sign language and they're signing back and forth and having like a conversation in sign language while they're having sex there's like all these cool uh, emotional beats or metaphors that are going on in their conversation and it's important to the plot and it kind of wraps back around on it i love that scene i love 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 that scene and i think it's it's cool that they they find little ways to make ryu and cha's relationship deeper and more profound wherever they can again wasting next to no time on it it's just kind of in there like when the police are doing the investigation of cha's room they mention like yeah apparently when she was in first grade she went to a deaf school or a school for deaf children and they eventually found out she wasn't deaf but she made friends with one of the deaf students and it's another guy in one of our other investigations and it implies that cha and ryu have sort of been in love for a very long time. Do you think they used an actual deaf actor for this? I do not believe that they did, but I, I should look into that. I know that he's won like awards and has acted in other stuff, but I don't think that they actually did use a, a real deaf actor. God, that's a shame. I was trying to watch the signs because I like I know a, a bit of like American sign language and so that doesn't translate very well. And so I don't know enough to say that uh, the sign language they were using was like correct or just like a close enough pantomime of sign language while also like try like, you know, they, you could see the sign for kidnapping and then he does the big like cross arm gesture like no. And like, I'm reasonably sure that's not correct sign for no. So I don't know if they were using correct sign there, which is something that I like to see when uh when we have deaf actors i i took sign language as a second language in high school and also uh while my younger brother was growing up you know he's autistic and so sign language can help uh you know help autistic kids uh, learn to communicate faster than they would otherwise so like i learned sign language growing up and one of my uh, my sign language teacher uh her husband is also deaf and one thing that she brought up is that she's not a huge fan of representation of sign language in film because it's sort of like did you did you ever see the video where uh people who speak norse were shitting on thor ragnarok because they're like they're they're basically you know that that's not the correct word they meant open as in like open a door instead of like open yourself because that's a separate word and also like um sort of like how spanish will put the noun and then the adjective a similar thing happens when you're seeing sign language in film is that they'll just you know they'll do a quick google as like what's the sign for this but yeah so 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 she'd get upset about those types of things and so uh i don't know i just i i've sort of taken that to heart myself as well it's sort of like how when we were watching well we didn't watch but you mentioned i am sam and how they didn't even get a mentally challenged actor to play the mentally challenged guy it's like if they're if you're gonna have a deaf someone who's acting in a deaf role you, you could get a deaf guy okay there's a lot of things to say here one of the other big problems with i am sam is that they did have mentally challenged actors in the film yeah. so it's it's weird that they just chose not to do that for the lead actor like a lead always has to be like a like a he hegemonically abled person hegemonically beautiful person did you just pull that off of your like word of the month calendar because i don't know what that means a hegemony is basically the word for what is like the the group in power or the the most populous group handsome white people basically pretty much handsome white men yeah lead actors have to be handsome white men god forbid we ever cast a handsome asian guy or an ugly asian guy or an ugly black man or a handsome black man Got or it. a woman Ugh. well they're not people they're not people <laughs> remember, um, remember kids it's actors dogs party clowns actresses <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad to see that party clowns moved below dogs there was a time where they were above them <laughs> 1920s Germany was a hell of a place. <laughs> the, the clown was king back then. <laughs> I can't wait to hear people hate me for that. <laughs>
<laughs> God, I, I hate having to spell out to people why we're not the assholes here. <laughs> like, but, he's uh, really advocating for that. It's like, no. no. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and it's not even as if, like, the mentally challenged are the, like, or mentally challenged or otherly abled people in any way are the only people that suffer from this. Pretty much any woman over 35 immediately has her opportunities for acting cut to next to nothing. Which is why it's frustrating when we're constantly aging down older characters. Aunt May is a great example of this. A lot of people are like, well, Marissa Tomei is like 50. It's great that she's getting the chance to act. Whereas the, the Raimi uh, Aunt May is like what everybody thinks of when it's like Aunt May. Like nobody <laughs> thinks about fuckable Aunt May. It's like, oh, sweet kindly Aunt May and her aging husband with his words of wisdom. I have a million things to say about this, but let's just try to get through the bullet points really quick. First of all, I don't have a problem with Aunt May being young and fuckable. There are actually a lot of good Spider-Man stories that involve a younger Aunt May. Uh, well, not good Spider-Man stories, but they're out there and you could make them good if you wanted. The most heinous part about the lady who played Aunt May, I think she was pushing 80 years old. You know, you never found it. You never told me if the actor was deaf. He's not. Fuck. Fuck whatever amounts for Korean Hollywood. So Rosemary Harris probably gave one of the best performances in the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man trilogy. But for whatever reason, the actor who gets remembered most as being like a standout, like we got to have him back at all costs, no matter what, is J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Admittedly, now he is a bit of an older actor now. At the time, he wasn't terribly old. But I mean, I don't know. Men can keep getting roles well into their 60s and nobody bats an eye. Women struggle after 35. Nobody was relegated to having to act like does. The, does the movie have a grandmother in it? No? Uh, how about somebody in the background who's like dying in an elderly home? No? Alright, well, we'll find a project for you someday. Yeah. Rosemary Harris, in my opinion at least, especially in Spider-Man 2, has some of the best moments in that movie. And throughout the series, really, she's just constantly every scene she's in, she is owning it. And nobody is like, I don't want to see Ant-Man unless it's Rosemary Harris. Rosemary Harris is doing it. She's, she's the queen. Yeah, and she's still alive today. I don't know if she quit acting or not, but... It's just frustrating, and this happens all the fucking time. But yeah, to answer your question, no, the guy who plays Ryu is not deaf, and no, the guy who plays uh, the mentally disabled uh, fellow by the water is also not mentally disabled. But he did get a really cool line in the movie, or he didn't get a cool line, but Mr. Park got a cool line on his behalf where he shows... I did appreciate that. Yeah, he shows the detective that, like, the information he got from the mentally disabled guy, and he says, he's mentally disabled, not stupid. I thought he was a junkie at, in the first one because I didn't think may, maybe it's just me. That's like, where your I, mind goes immediately. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it screamed junkie more than it screamed like mentally disabled person. And like even then, it's like I don't know if he was mentally disabled or like if he had a disability, it was like Parkinson's or fucking like, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, he's he's got some sort of physical deformity or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it didn't scream like mentally disabled. I think uh, it's. I did. I did have a panic moment when he was poking the little girl with the stick in the car. I'm like, please don't do this. Yeah, there's. We've we've done too many movies together, man. <laughs> you've seen too much. <laughs> You're like, oh god, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> what a, that that would turn the movie immediately into like horror territory right <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no thank you park chan wook for not doing that uh, the <laughs> by the way the director's name is park chan wook and is this uh, a ghost can't do it situation where mr park is uh this is just uh some weird auto uh, autobiographical movie so it's, it's hard to say why the leading man or I don't know, the half of the protagonist is uh, also named Park. I don't know. But I do know 
Park Chan-wook is considered like a, a master movie maker at this point. He can basically write his own checks. I remember you have previously said that I need to go see the fight scene from Old Boy, and then I, I noticed that this is part of like a three-part series that includes Old Boy. Yes, uh, so it's called the Vengeance Trilogy, even though it's not a trilogy in the sense of like each one is a sequel to the last. They're sort of just like, it's like the Three Flavors Corniato trilogy. They're not really connected other than sort of thematically or by uh, a lot of the same actors being in them. Each of the movies involves vengeance in some way or another. I think that they sort of really hit their stride in Old Boy, and Old Boy has probably the most nuanced take on vengeance. I haven't seen Lady Vengeance yet, so we'll have to take the time to do that someday. I'd like to note that they don't talk about the sympathy for Lady Vengeance, it's just vengeance. I think it is titled Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, but people usually just call it Lady Vengeance. Oh, okay. I I might be wrong about that, though. I I could be incorrect. It could just be titled Lady Vengeance. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. He's trying to say that we shouldn't have sympathy for people who go seeking vengeance because this movie sort of only women who seek vengeance don't get sympathy yeah it is kind of shitty that he would put it on the first movie that has like a leading lady you know like (laughs) yeah they're they're the ones that need to learn about vengeance guys are doing it right women are doing it wrong (laughs) (laughs) shit you have to be a person to be able to do vengeance if you're not a person you're just i don't know like a wild animal doing it Right. Really, it's just a, it's a statistic if a woman does it, because you, ha- you have to be able to premeditate it for it to be murder. It's an accident, really, is what it is. Sympathy, <laughs> sympathy for lady accident. <laughs> it's just two dogs killing each other, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's uh, what that was. I was going to ask you if you thought this movie would get a sequel, and, and technically it doesn't, but uh, Old Boy is like its, it's spiritual sequel. By the way, by the fucking way, so I, I pull up this movie, and I get to read the unadulterated blurb, and it's like... Yeah, yeah, he goes to kidnap his boss's daughter. And I was like, immediately, I was like, you were ragging me for like a full half hour in the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Telling me what a stupid idea kidnapping would be. Admittedly, I have to do my best to like, (laughs) you sometimes, you're like an ant, man. You're like an ant. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you just know, man, you like have that psychic connection where you are like, I've seen this in a movie before. Is it this? And I'm like, oh. No, 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 that's pretty stupid, don't you think? <laughs> um, so I have to kind of try to get you to make predictions that aren't like nailing it. Fucking um, right there. Yeah, uh, especially as you're like, that was like your first thing you fucking said. Jesus, man, give me some room to breathe here. <laughs> what a this prick. This is just House on Haunted Hill. All right, wrap it up. We'll do another one next week. <laughs> Jesus. God, man, we do one of these a week. You can't just keep shooting it right in the foot as soon as we start it up. <laughs> Man, they got another season done already? Yeah, James fucking nailed it. Like, it's five-minute episodes all the way down. Yeah, so I, I I do apologize for that, and I should probably try not to be so heavy-handed because I I know that we have we we have uh we have listeners who like probably have already seen the movie, uh, especially since like whenever I introduce the podcast to someone, I'm like pick a movie you've already seen and watch that episode, so you can kind of laugh at us for making stupid predictions, and you get to know you know in advance ah that prediction's dead wrong, what an idiot, and then you know later you can watch an episode where you don't know what happens, and then you can watch the movie in the intermission, and then come back with us, you know, maybe write down your own predictions. There's a lot of fun ways you can ingest this podcast. I mean, I will say it's, uh, I don't know, the the joy that I felt as soon as I saw kidnapping in the first four words of the blurb. Like, I, just keep doing that. Like, this is fun. <laughs> I, I, I imagine, that's that's my point here, is like, I imagine the person who's already seen this movie will hear me being like, oh, don't you think kidnapping's kind of stupid? And they'll just be like laughing their ass off. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also do kind of feel that way, where like, it is, it is a little disappointing for me to be like, 
like explaining this movie to you and like the first idea you have is like oh kidnapping i guess and i'm like oh come on jesus is it that like cliche of a thing i don't know anytime somebody says the word vengeance even just that word alone is enough for people to be like oh it's like the count of monte cristo yeah yeah a thing is not just another thing like uh we we were talking before we recorded this about how like uh you know people put this because i mean realistically like in, in a philosophical sense there are no new ideas and so you can constantly go back and be like well toy story is just this the the odyssey and 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 shrek is just um smash mouth <laughs> yeah yeah shrek shrek is just no i was trying to think of uh the fucking the poem about uh the descent into hell dante's inferno yeah shrek, shrek is just dante's inferno i thought you were gonna go with don quixote <laughs> That'd be fun. But you know what I mean? Like, people put this on on shit where it's like, oh, this is just that. And it's not. It's probably heavily inspired by, I'm sure, uh, formulaically, it's very close to that. But, like, a thing is not just another thing. I would argue that if it is true that there are no new ideas going forward, then it must be equally true that there are only new ideas going forward. Because, like, if it's new to you, then it's new, right? You know, I don't mind the retelling of a story. I enjoy it. There was that Romeo and Juliet, but it was set in fucking New York or whatever. And and I, I think that's a fun thing for anybody who cares to do the deep dive into the lore of it. You know, to have somebody be like, hey, did you know Toy Story is just like this? And it's like, oh, well, I've never I've never heard of this. Let me go explore that. And it's like, oh, it is it is Toy Story, but with Cyclopses and sirens. You know, that that's a fun thing to discover for yourself. It's like I, I do the same thing with musically. Everybody knows about the one where like Disturbed did the sound of silence and like that was lovely. But forget the rock band that sings uh, Whiskey in the Jar. But that's just an old song by the Dubliners. It's an old Irish song. A lot of Elvis's music is just covered from various uh, black performers that came out around the same time as him or just before him. There was this old guy I used to work with and he'd put on the radio. And one of these like classic rock stations would do two for Tuesdays. And so they'd do like two Metallica songs or like two ACDC songs. And I was like, hey buddy, you ever wonder why they don't do two Ram Jam songs? And it's like, here's Black Betty twice um <laughs> and uh we, we had a good riff on that uh for a while that was fun we come to find out uh ram jam has one album and 10 other singles and ram jam their, their most popular one uh not even their song they covered that from another band called like starlight or something like that i mean good for them to putting for putting enough of a spin on it to make it interesting and, and worthwhile for people to like pick it up and that's probably led people to listen to the other band's version of it at least some percentage of people right yeah um, anybody who like looks up the the history the discography is like anybody who cares about that will probably listen to the other one but from what i what i understand the other band was like not popular not put on the radio as much and um yeah it's just ram jam one in the history wars i forget what the original is called but oreo like came out several years after oh uh, yeah the, the nabisco cookies or whatever Oreo is Nabisco. Oh, okay. So, so uh, whatever the other one was, but yeah, the the cookie sandwich that started off hydrogels or hydro hydroclaws hydro hydrocores. I, I don't know. Oh, I want to know. Hold the phone there because uh, I I think that what were Oreos called? What was Oreo? Hydrox. What? Are they just called Hydrox? Just Hydrox. Which sounds like a toilet cleaner. So I yes. can understand why it was not popular. Apparently they also don't taste as good. But uh, it is the idea of the same thing. And Oreos just won out over time. Hydrox uh, uh, was the original idea for it, apparently. And it's not like a terribly, like, super original thing. It's, you know, chocolate cookies with some vanilla-y cream in the middle. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. It's not insanely original. I guess maybe at the time it was like 
fucking mind bending in 1908. I mean, I um, guess like they still have knockoff Oreos. It's not like it's not like they fucking Oreo has a patent on fucking fake cream filling and two chocolate cookies. Yeah, I, I don't even imagine Oreo has to pay Hydrox or anything. You know? No. Uh, uh, apparently, a quick Google says that a uh, Hydrox uh, died out in like 1999, but Leaf Brands uh, has brought it back. Good for Leaf Brands. We're doing a really shitty job of talking about this movie. Yeah, I mean, how many how many jumps away did we go from this? Uh, I think we we started off with it was the actor actually deaf, and now we're talking about Oreos. I don't know how we made the leap to Ram Jam and how Ram Jam oh Ram Jam made the leap leap to Oreo because Ram Jam covered the song. That's right. All right, we're 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 sleuthing our way back to. It is unfortunate that they didn't have any like other otherly abled people play the characters that were otherly abled in this movie. But it is good to at least have the representation, and I really appreciate that. Did the uh, did the suicide catch you off guard? It did, and especially since it's like following like a very happy moment. Like he's like, oh, you know, you're you're my meal ticket. Uh, my sister is saved, and like then you know they they're sitting there having like a good old time. And I imagine a long enough time because they had the fight over whether to watch cartoons or baseball. And then she like pulls this note out of her pocket, and it's like, hey, your uh, your sister said to give this to you after you've been home for an hour. So that that was kind of wild. Like I had predicted that she was gonna die, but I thought it would be from complications. And by the yeah. way, like I I thought she was gonna have some wild fucking disease, not like kidney failure. You can live with kidney failure for a while if you just keep going and getting dialysis. You can but even apparently, work. Yeah, apparently it is pretty awful. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty bad. I don't know why it caused me to laugh because it's like a really tragic scene. But, you know, after he's found his sister and he goes to like wail, they cut to the, the TV again. And it's like timed pretty perfectly with a cartoon wailing. And I, yeah. don't, I don't know what the point of that was, but like I found it humorous. And then looking back, I'm like, that wasn't that shouldn't have been humorous. Like, why did they do this? Yeah, the movie does have a couple of editing moments that are kind of like that. Um, I do think that it's it's good that they they didn't linger on that for too long. It was just like a second or two, and then it sort of pans out out of his apartment and then up into the like sky, and it continues to focus on the sound of him wailing. So that sort of downplays the the humor in it. But I do think that the the, the point of that is to show that like this little girl is completely ignorant to the tragedy that's happening around her. And then once she gets into the car and he put the corpse in there, like it's I don't think he really cares about this little girl not experiencing like a corpse being in the car with her. But it is interesting that in that moment where he is just devastated, she's just blissfully watching cartoons and we're supposed to be reminded of that. Like in the very next room, it's cartoons and fun. But in, in this room, it's the worst thing that can possibly happen to a human being, basically. I thought it was interesting that, um, so when, when they have the, the girl, um, and they're hanging out in the apartment or whatever, like, he's making the necklace. I don't understand why he was making the necklace in the first place, but then it's like, she wants it, and, he, you know, he threatens to hit her, and it's like, that was wild to me, and then he's, like, running around her like a paparazzi trying to get, like, the good crying photo. Anyways, I said all that to, like, bring up the fact that, like, he sends Mr. Park the crying photo. And it's like, we have your daughter with the very stereotypical, I cut out a newspaper to make this fucking thing. The fact that later on he finds them caring for her, playing with her, and, like, you know, having a good old time. I thought that was gonna soften him up more, and it just makes him more angry, which I understand, you know? It sucks that, like, her last moments of joy were with 
the kidnappers. Like that's got to be a pretty pretty hard shot to the gut. It is ambiguous whether or not it softened him up. It could be something that he realized later as he's about to kill Ryu and he has that like tender moment with him that he sort of reflected on and thought, you know, actually this guy's a lot like me and he was nice to my daughter while he had her. He wasn't like, you know, hitting her or anything. She cried one time and he got a picture of it. That's the only instance of crying that I can even find and you know, I'm sure if I grilled him about it, he would be like, yeah, we were we were good to your daughter. And that's corroborated by Cha, who is basically like, yeah, this was all an accident. We made one mistake. So he probably knew that in, in some way as he's like telling Ryu he's got to kill him. Did you have any shots that you thought were especially beautiful in the movie? I know I know you're always looking for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm all about. There were a couple of shots, and I don't know if they were meant to be held up side by side, but there was a very pretty shot of, like, the forest overlooking the city. And then later on, I think after Mr. Park has found the Welder's family all poisoned, we get to see, like, the hard slums of wherever the hell they are. Yeah, as they're um, running to, like, carry the kid out of there. Yeah, I, like, I thought those were very nice. They use those establishing shots to great effect, because otherwise, an establishing shot is exactly what it describes. It's just to let you know where we are, basically. In these scenes, it feels almost like it's, it's to let you know what's going on in the world. We're pulled away from the business, like, Mr. Park lives in the business center and, like, does not pay any mind to these ghettos. Then we have, like, pretty much the same shot, but, like, from him being in in the the hills and the ghettos. I especially like, there are two scenes that like stand out to me when we talk about beautiful scenes. Sort of the shot where Mr. Park is carrying Ryu's body on his back through the water and you can see the blood like just flowing out of him. It, it just looks really good. I don't think that it's like super metaphorical. I guess if I were to try really hard, I would say, you know, he's leaving a trail of blood behind him and it's supposed to be metaphorical of like the trail of blood that vengeance sort of creates. But I just thought it looked really good. And then specifically at the end of the movie, when he first gets stabbed, uh, Mr. Park first gets stabbed by the terrorist organization that Cha talked about. He looks down at his hands to see the one hand with the healed uh, stab wound in it and the other with like this new blood that he's like gushing all over it. And he has both of his hands right in front of the camera and you can see them. And I thought that it was really cool. And I thought that it had like a lot of metaphorical value and it looked really good. No, I, I did like that one. I was going to ask if this was supposed to be like the stabbing scene a la Caesar. It certainly brings that to mind, but I don't think that it really cares too much about that. I think it was just supposed to be he's completely physically overwhelmed by these guys. There was no shot in hell that if these four dudes came at him and he was by himself, that he was going to be able to defend himself. He might have been able to stab one guy, but then after that, he's fucked. Right. Not that the scene was beautiful, but I really liked the angle of it. The scene where, um, you know, after he's left his piss bottles on the side of the road and he goes back to wherever Mr. Park has been hiding out for him. And like just the very high angle looking down the stairs, it's almost like he's entering like a, like a predator's den or something like that. I thought that was a really cool angle to take the shot at. And then that's kind of like thrown away by the almost comical nature of like, no, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll come in the door from this side or no, 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 I'll, I'll come in from this side. And, and I don't know if like in his head, he's thinking like, shit, how do I know if I'm making too much noise? I, I did like how they, they didn't try to make a lot of the violence sexy. It's clumsy. People are making mistakes. They're nervous while they're performing these actions. And it, and it feels very human. Not, not to cut you off there, but like while we're talking about the violence, the scene where uh, he whiffs the bat and the guy's picking him up by the throat, 
was that screwdriver CGI? Yeah, uh, I think that it might have been. It felt very off in the first portion of it, and then the second part looks like a practical effect. Yeah, it might have just been cheaper in that one shot to have it be CGI. Uh, maybe it was kind of difficult with how the practical effect was made and they were like, yeah, just pay for a quick CGI job. It's just for like one. Yeah, it's like it's like four frames of time, really. No, no time at all was wasted on that. And God, I really do. I do love how this movie, like the pacing of it's fast. Did you feel like the two hours and, and a couple minutes was was wasted? Or did you feel like this was an appropriate amount there of time? Was, uh, there was not a lot of wasted time. Like really, uh, the only time I ever felt was uh, horribly wasted was, I don't know, the extra 15 seconds of him trying to read the note upside down. Or like maybe just a bit of the ending where it's like, you know, they wasted some time being like, remember audience, remember? I was not a fan of that, but it's like, how much time could it, you know, this was just over two hours or something like that. Well, maybe, maybe two hours with the credits. They could have shaved a minute off like this is not as drastic as some of the other movies were done where it's like dude i can save you 10 minutes of editing right now and i'm not even a trained professional i felt like and i don't know if this is just a park chan wook thing i've certainly noticed it in a couple of his films but he really does like if he uses something he's gonna bring it up again or it's gonna get used for something more important later on i venture to say that there's probably next to none of this that is useless and i i do agree especially at the end there is a lot a, a little too much reminding the audience a lot of people probably miss a lot of the cool like we set this up and we're paying it out that happens constantly in this movie the the bit where um you know he has his revenge on the organ people and i i assume that was heroin i assume she was just also doing heroin but you know she comes up with the scalpel and like you're like oh is she is she gonna get him and fucking you know they pay that off again after he's like eating the kidneys but we don't know he's eating the kidneys yet and it's like oh he's bleeding and then he's like in the elevator holding his dead girlfriend's hand and like bleeding on his shoe and like there was this moment of tension that like never paid out where it's like is the cop gonna notice that he's bleeding like i thought that that scene was incredibly tragic he's literally in unimaginable pain right now he is suffering and to the left of him is his dead lifelong significant other his lover and, and he, he gets... can't even like actively mourn because he's in a elevator full of police and coroners and all that police that are looking for him no doubt they don't know what he looks like probably but they're looking for him. So if he did anything to indicate I'm associated with this person, they'd catch him right then and there. By the way, really cool idea that, you know, ordering dry ice consistently would probably bring you on some sort of watch list. But if you go buy a cake and say you're traveling with it, they'll just give you dry ice. And then he ditches the cake immediately. That was fun. But the scene following that, where we have the shaky camera following him down the hallway, Ryu crosses him one way and he doesn't think anything about it. And then he crosses him back the other way and he doesn't think anything about it. I was like, that's really interesting. Like, this is fun. So on the on the note of the mom doing heroin, I don't think she's doing heroin. I think in my mind, the way that I envision her character is that she's an, a woman who has gotten so old or she has some sort of debilitating physical ailment where her hands are not steadied so she has to take like injections of blank thing that would help steady your hands to perform surgery and that's why she can't perform surgery anymore because they won't like let you keep doing that if you have to take a drug to do it so she just starts doing surgery on the side to make her money and that's what she's injecting in herself is whatever drug she one would use to steady your hands so that you can perform surgery well because you can't do surgery with shaky hands right that's what i imagined it was because heroin just before performing surgery seems like a terrible idea yeah no i guess that's fair 
And that was always what it was. She was like shaking her hands as she's trying to give herself this stuff. That is the visual, what the visual storytelling tells me. Because why is this lady performing back alley surgeries? Well, a good answer could be that she was a surgeon at one point and was disgraced for some reason or another, possibly her shaky hands. And then when she was outed for having shaky hands as a surgeon, you know, a lot of these surgeries take like many, many hours so she might have to step out and re-inject herself. Then somebody caught her. I don't know. There's a cool story to be had here. I mean, I don't know. I just, whenever I see the fucking tourniquet and somebody shooting into their arm, the, my first thought is heroin. And then also, you know, they're, they're black market organ dealers. Like, they, there's no reason they wouldn't also be peddling in drugs. You know, you, you see the one kid, like, having sex with the, the person they just took kidneys out of. I mean, kind of by necessity, they sort of have to peddle in drugs because they're performing back alley surgeries, right? Right. So it's undoubtedly they do. I just, I don't know if heroin is the drug of choice. I, To be honest with you, I don't know the effects of heroin well enough to say one way or the other. I shouldn't be shaming you for bringing up heroin. Maybe it is a great tool for steadying the hand for surgery. I don't well, fucking you know. know. She, she could be shaky because she's a heroin addict and whenever she's coming down, you get shaky. I don't know. It doesn't matter so much to the story whether she is or is not a drug addict. I did think that was kind of cool. And it's nice that it's sort of unspoken because we get to have these moments where we speculate. And it's not terribly interesting to the story. Again, Park Chan-wook is really good at, like, cutting the fat from his movies and just, like, keeping it pretty low to the ground. Um, right. Like, we, we can all assume that this is what happened. You're already going to assume it. I don't need to show you, like, a fucking expensive or a not expensive enough so it looks like shit rendition of what you can already imagine. And he, and he certainly used his money well for the the big moments uh like the, the cutting of the tendons or the the various stabbings that happen throughout the film the big uh practical effects that would be necessary to do those scenes i think uh it's money well spent it's those are those are some of the big payout scenes you know some great acting by the whole cast too by the way i can't think of a single actor who wasn't doing a great job e even you son usually having like a child actor on screen for any amount of time is just a nightmare but I think she did a great job. Probably something that'll need to get cut later. I uh, I actually got introduced to this movie when I was uh, 16 years old. Really? Yeah. Guy I worked with, we'll just call him CJ. Probably the coolest guy I've known my entire life. The guy, was he ran on pure cool fuel. He was a jetpack that would take you to awesome town. Just the coolest dude. And uh, I was this culturalist pig fucker of a kid, you know? My family wasn't very well off financially and I was super lucky to have this job and to be able to help pay for things around the house and other stuff like that you know I now had disposable income and I didn't know what to use it on and he was like hey man you should totally just watch all these different movies and if you can't find them come to me and I'll, I'll find them for you and I'll give you a copy or I'll maybe I already have a copy of it you know and right. one of the movies was sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and uh yeah it was a lot uh, at that young age I remember not really getting a lot of this stuff like you son uh drowning didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and and now i realize like yeah a lot of children just don't know how to swim very well <laughs> it turns out being put in water at all is enough to kill them <laughs> i know it i i thought it was so like as tragic as that was i thought it was especially tragic that in the like poltergeist scene she's like dad why why wouldn't you teach me how to swim sooner this is your fault yeah and it seems like he sort of laughs at that because the answer is pretty obviously like how could i ever know right how could how could i ever know you would need this the the connections between Ryu and Yusun are really interesting to me because like Yusun dies of drowning and before he goes over to like save her or like in investigate the body or whatever, he thinks to himself like, oh no, this water's so deep I can't go into it. It'll be well above my head. And then the mentally challenged guy like walks over and just goes up to her and he's like, oh yeah, the last time I was ever here, I was a child. This water's not deep. It's like three feet high. 
if that. I just think that's like incredibly interesting. The the things that are challenging and difficult and even deadly for a child are trivial to an adult. I guess that's something of a through line in the movie. Strangers coming up to you and saying, hey, let's go sing songs and play in the park is deadly for a child. But for an adult, it's like, that could be fun. It's not as you know scary of a concept. I really enjoyed the movie. I don't know. It's it's pretty tragic and, you know, like it, it's all dramatic and all that. I think you mentioned it pretty well earlier where it's like, you know, this is not there's nothing transcendent to, to try to be dialed in on here. Like it pretty much tells you how you're supposed to feel about this. And I don't know if it's a popular thing or if it's just something that I enjoy where it's like I really like the ambiguous villainy. The idea of who was Mr. Vengeance. And it's like, well, kind of kind of everyone a little bit. Yeah. Every, everybody is seeking vengeance and there's sympathy for all sides of this story and like that's really fun and I know some people will watch this and be like well, oh, who was the who was bad guy uh, who, who do I hate and the answer is like nobody really the point of the movie if you had to say like what is the movie trying to say to us in just like one quick sentence what is the point of it what's the what's the message oh you're asking it you're not telling me yeah 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 what, what is it I want to uh... know your, your thoughts I don't know everybody is the main character of their own story. That is certainly something that the, an ethos, if you will, that the movie or the writer or the director seems to agree with. Certainly. Yeah. You're, you're on the right track here. I think that a more accurate statement might be uh, violence begets more violence, or maybe in this case, vengeance begets more vengeance. I did feel that at one point where like the, the whole thing is just this cyclical nature of like revenge. And then like, well, I revenge that revenge. And it's like, Oh, well now I need another revenge. Yeah, it turns out Hammurabi's code, is a bad idea for a reason but yeah i mean i i felt like that was i don't know something that something that's been done before maybe, maybe it hasn't or maybe i'm just putting that on films in general where it's like you know the violence is never the answer i don't know man sometimes it's the answer but yeah the the fact that like both everybody was in the wrong and nobody was in the wrong everybody reacted very humanly i guess you already mentioned it it's like they they are both basically the same person just from like different socioeconomic stratas there's something tragic also about mr park's character that we haven't given credit towards and that's that Yusun says that mommy divorced daddy or they got a divorce or i don't know if she puts the blame on anyone specifically but she specifically says that because daddy worked too much and then later when mr park is being questioned about like what's going on in your life that might have caused this you know when the detective has him in the car I, I think the sh this shot is actually pretty beautiful itself. All the only person we can see in this scene is the detective. We can only see like the legs and hand of Mr. Park, and the rest of him is covered up by like the blacked out uh, glass of the police car. And I think that's like an interesting way to frame that because normally you kind of want both of the actors that are like emoting in this scene and, and conversing in this scene to be fully visible to the audience, but in this case it's not. And I think it's just to show his like how cut off from the world he is right now. He's just completely like dead to everyone, barely even responding. And that's why we can't see him. I digress. He says he doesn't know why his wife left him. You can argue that he's saying that to the cop because he's embarrassed to tell the truth. But I don't think that he's that like emotionally aware at the time. I think he's literally just telling the God's honest truth as he sees it. He doesn't know his wife left him because he was working too much. That is an incredibly sad thing. His daughter does know. And that's that's even more sad. 
I thought that cremation scene was, was pretty tragic, like specifically for that, because like you, you can pinpoint the mother. I forget what he, what she says, but uh, you can pinpoint the mother there. And I think she was saying something like, oh, mommy was wrong or something like that. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know why that's especially tragic for me, because it's like I can feel as if in her head, it's like, you know, that this wouldn't have happened if. Yeah. If I had and stuck I around or if I had remained custody, if I'd stuck around, if I had, there's uh, so many different things it could have been. Right, but we don't we don't dwell on that. I don't even think Mr. Mr. Park dwells on that at all. But she's like throwing a whole fit about it, and like that's a I don't know, very dramatic. I I hope I'm not being misunderstood when I say that like drama movies are there's nothing to be like extrapolated upon on them. There's so much here. It's just sometimes when you're giving sort of stream of consciousness discussion about the piece of art, you don't want to say like they use the color orange. I like orange. And sometimes that's kind of what it feels like when you're talking about a drama piece, like these things literally happened and I liked them or I found them moving in some way. This is where we have to do a good job as like film discussers by you know, like saying, I think this is what it represents, or I think that it connects with this previous thing, or why is it good to you? You know, like do do more than just say, I be, like be more constructive with your criticism. <laughs> yes, yes. This movie wasn't my cup of tea. The fuck does that mean, dude? Why not? Right. Yeah, it, it sucks because like we, we want to have a conversation about these things, but the, the movie just portrays very accessible emotions. We're, we're not talking about, you know, existential dread of a universe ever expanding or like some fucking dramatic shit like that. It's like this dude's kid died. Do you feel sad? You should feel sad. And it's like, you know, what 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 do we have to add to this? Just because the emotions aren't terribly complicated, because I agree, like, you're supposed to be basically sad or angry in this movie. Those are the two big emotions it's trying to get out of you. There's a couple of scenes that are kind of funny, but not in a way where you're really supposed to be laughing at them a lot. Right. Kind of like, just like a momentary, like, haha, oh yeah, I forgot somebody's sister just died. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's the ju I, there's something in the juxtaposition of that that like uh, I'm not able to describe fully, but I think I think you nailed it pretty well with like you know this is you know the kid has no fucking clue. Reminding us that like Yusun's perspective is important is a really cool move on the director's behalf because it would be very easy for this story to basically use Yusun as like she's just a MacGuffin, like she's just there to like forward the plot of well if we do this he'll be mad. You know why didn't you just steal his car keys at that point? No, they yeah, use. You saw her being oblivious is like, I don't know, al almost crucial to her death scene. The fact that she was happy to be with those people and that she was having a good time and she had very human interactions with them makes it so much more fucking dark. She couldn't, she didn't understand. She's like yelling for Ryu. Oh, so that was, that was a cool thing. There's a couple of scenes at the beginning of the movie that are easy to look at as just kind of comical, funny scenes, but actually end up being very important later on. Like the scene where the four neighbors are all masturbating like back to back. And I thought, I thought you'd like that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think it's very funny. Oh yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. It was uh, less great when we went back through the wall and it's his sister having fucking dialysis pains. Yeah, like she's in excruciating pain on the other side of the room and Ryu is like just eating noodles. He doesn't know what's going on behind him because he can't see it and he can't hear it. And that's, that's tragic. But then it comes into play later on in the movie when, and this happens like two or three times to him, I think it's almost exactly three times, where Ryu is like busy doing something and he doesn't hear this other person like crying out for help or the lady grabbing the scalpel off of her desk because he's not looking directly at her so he can't that was i i loved that i thought that was really cool and again it seems almost like wow why'd they have that scene where it was kind of fucked up his sister's like screaming and he's just not paying attention is that supposed to be funny or no they, they're setting you up to know later on 
this is a, a problem for him where he can't hear other people when they're screaming for him or when they're like clearly making noise and doing stuff that he should be paying attention to. Right. Like he, he's working in the factory and he's the only one, which by the way, I, you know, I, sometimes I bring up things like, like, uh, the kidney and the dark urine, but like, here, this is one where I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I think even if you're deaf, you're supposed to be wearing hearing protection. Yes. You can still harm, uh, some of the mechanisms in your ear. That's yeah. Possible. Your inner ear for balance and shit like that. Yeah. So like, I, I know what they were getting at there it's like i'm deaf i don't need to wear hearing protect i'm reasonably sure you still have to it's worth keeping in mind they're in korea and it's 2002 so that that was the other thing that i wanted to bring up from our predictions because like i thought that she was going to be a fucking transformer i forgot that uh in other countries we don't have factories with assembly lines we still have like open smelters and shit like that yeah yeah did you like the factory scenes by the way because i was I, watching i thought it was interesting like I, I was going through them being like oh this is this is fascinating i feel like they took an actual video from a factory i, th I thought like, so too yeah you know at first i was like oh he's he's making washers like that that makes a lot of sense and then the other guy had like i don't know ingots or like i, I don't know what the long pieces were but i felt like the, the whole thing was just kind of interesting like walking through the process and like the very non-existent safety guidelines they had where it's like well how do i keep from burning myself well don't touch the fire i really love the scene when they're leaving the factory and there's there's clearly like a shot where it kind of shows that an amount of time has passed since they got there and it's like bright dawn light like smacking them right in the face on their way out and you were yeah, thinking maybe nice. like maybe they were working like nine to five and they'd be coming out just as dusk is settling in or something no they basically worked a 24-hour shift you know from morning to morning or, or something to that effect you know right that really sucks the part where he's explaining at the beginning that he went to art school and then he has blue hair i mean come on <laughs> Yeah, there's so much I to love. It was good that they kept that. They ke they kept the blue hair throughout the whole movie cuz like if this was your your typical cop crime drama, uh that would have been the first thing that like in America we do, right? Like you right. know, the first thing you got to do is like cut your hair, or dye your hair or uh you know, wear a fake mustache. But he's just like it, it's not at all concerning to him that he will be caught. It's basically like, like I feel like uh this is our like what if Gotham finally had no crime thing. It's like uh you know, once he's gotten his vengeance, I don't think he'd give a shit about much else. Yeah, it's hard to say at what point did he give up on surviving this encounter. Because he does have things to live for up until Cha dies. Once Cha dies, it seems like there might have been nothing left for him. But before that, he had every reason to be calculating and, and do his best not to die or get caught. But it does seem like he's like going about things with a reckless abandon. Whereas Mr. Park pretty much has nothing to lose the entire time. Once his daughter is gone, he's willing to do what he has to do to get her back, but as soon as she's certainly dead, he's he's going at it, you know? Yeah, he gets he, rid of everything he, he owns. He, yeah. And I thought that was a, a cool thing, because that feels more in line with, like, modern American thrillers. I sold everything I own, so I have enough money to, like, chase you to the ends of the earth and back. Or not back. I think that in 2002, people were less scrutinous, you know? They weren't like, oh, well, he has blue hair, so anybody, he would stick out like a sore thumb, people would recognize him immediately, and he'd get caught in no time. So that makes this movie bad. This was before, like, people made things like everything wrong with sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and then the first thing they bring up is, he has blue hair and he never gets it dyed. What an idiot. Right. You didn't have to worry about fucking people calling you out like that, and certainly no film critic was gonna bring it up. They might, like, jokingly mention it, but they wouldn't make it, like, a recurring thing in a 25-minute YouTube video with 9 million views. Uh, we brought up the, the fucking, hey, audience, remember? She was part of a terrorist group. I was not the biggest fan of 
of the scene where it's like he's putting together, you know, a deaf guy? I hired a deaf guy. With a sick sister? He had a sick sister. Hey, this picture frame? It's missing. And, and it's the same wallpaper as in the picture that he sent me. Oh, if only I had one more piece of evidence. And the fucking, the jerk-off neighbors are like playing the radio, which just conveniently happens to be talking about the guy. And he's like, that's it! It was him! And it's like, what? Why did we need that? <laughs> okay, I do recognize that complaint, but we do get this kind of throughout the film in like little ways where everything kind of just lines up sort of perfectly to be indicating that like he's right next to having the answer at all times. There's the like puddle and then there's the part where he tells the detective everything and the detective's like, oh, I'm getting a call. I have to step out. And he's like, can't we just fix that with like a simple surgery? What do you mean? 10 million. Yes. 10 million won. Where am I going to get that? You know what? We're lucky because we're poor. At least our fucking kids didn't die or nothing. You know, I didn't get, if we were rich, they'd be getting abducted and murdered. There's a weird thing to say right next to a guy that that just happened. Come on, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking idiot over here. It's it's crazy that it seems like the movie is kind of trying to say South Korea's medical infrastructure is fucked. By the way, 10 million won, if you're not aware, is about $8,000. Is that what it is? All right. So I was wondering what the conversion rate was. But, you, you know, it's like when, when people talk about being in crippling medical debt, it's not $8,000 typically. Yeah. $8,000 is like what you refuse to pay. And then they're just like, ah, you know what? We got the other 150000 out of him. So he can just not pay the $8,000 ambulance fee. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So I don't I don't want to downplay it by saying like, oh, that's that's 50 bucks American. This These fucking broke bitches. I mean, he killed a little girl for 26 million won. So that's uh, talking about $20,000. Effectively, yeah. And that's how, that's probably a lot of how Mr. Park is like conceptualizing this. Was my daughter's life worth $26 million or 26 million won? Uh, he'd probably argue that it was worth $26 million. But like just 20 grand, no wonder he was willing to pay it right away. That's probably nothing to him. He owns a whole fucking company that like has factories that do welding and, and smelting and I, other I shit. I would have liked if uh, he had answered the question about what his net worth was. He's he's clearly driving a very nice car. They say his car is worth 10 of Ryu's yearly salary. Even if Ryu is making, let's say, $15,000 a year, $150,000 car is really fucking nice. And you have to have a lot of money to be driving a $150,000 car. So... Let's just use that as a benchmark. And that's not even like his luxury car. That's his daily driver, you know? So, you know, it's just, I, I just like, uh, you know, and that's just for me. I don't think it would make the movie any better to to be giving me this benchmark for how the wealth disparity is going in Korea. Yeah, I do think that's one of the cooler things about the movie is it gives us an indication of like, these are problems in Korea that like we feel in America today. Honestly, I, f I feel like everywhere is feeling this right now. And I don't know if it's just like a new generation of worker that like the companies now need to be wary of and dance around. Because like I see this sometimes like, um, you know, I'll see, I'll see posts about it where it's like a big supermarket chain and they'll be like, where else are you going to? go to the little stores we shut those fuckers down with covid or um my boss is one of those people that's like he goes somewhere and he's like i don't i don't get it they should be waiting on me hand and foot and instead they're they're telling me that there's problems without like giving me solutions or discounts it's like i'm the paying customer i'm supposed to be and they expect me to just like respect them and it's like yes actually we have reached a time where people are sick of being disrespected for now not enough money to live and they're literally just doing their job 
but they're not being disrespectful. This isn't a personal choice of theirs. It's just, we're all out of the kind of oil you need for your car. You're going to have to wait this amount of time to get it or go somewhere else. Why do I need to like kiss your butthole while I fucking say that? I can just tell you the God's honest truth and then you bring your business where you need to bring your business. Ta-da. Yeah, it's really that simple. If this one altercation is going to cause the business to go under. Yeah, probably didn't deserve to be in business in the first place if one bad interaction with a customer completely decimates us. Yeah, so so I just, I don't know. I, I think that we're getting there globally to the point where it's like, no, if, if I'm giving you the years of my life, like if I'm giving you my time and my health, I should be able to also be prosperous while doing so. I don't know. We're hitting a snapping point pretty soon where it's going to be like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the corporation and like I'll, I'll pay you what, what I feel like paying you and why does nobody work for me? Yeah, the wealth disparity is going to hit a point eventually where there has to be a big revolution and unfortunately it's, you know, millions of people against a few hundred, but those few hundred have have enough money to influence millions and they're going to use every dollar at their disposal and unfortunately some people don't have that revolutionary mindset where they're like no we need to we need to fight this we can't accept money to like go to war against poor people who are trying to get equal rights and equal pay and all this stuff we got to just buckle down and suffer for a little while and fight the good fight meanwhile your neighbors and your friends and your contemporaries are like no i'll take the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're offering me and i'll fight you guys i'll tell you guys to quit doing this and just you know know your place and that's how we have like i'm sure the day will come where our podcast is offered a few hundred thousand dollars to tell what is it the proletariat to uh to shut the fuck up and just know their place and the bourgeoisie will be like here's your hundreds of thousands of dollars see for yourself now you can become a big popular podcast and we'll be like oh thank you thank you yes the money the money mm. it'll make a lot of our uh, talking points a little bit more obvious like that we won't say out loud we accepted this money but there'll be signs we'll be like yeah and capitalism in this movie is very good we like it <laughs> i we're gonna have to I would love it if you then had to go retroactively put that shit in, sort of like our uh, Beer Fest, Oktoberfest spoof, where it's just like <laughs> Beer Fest. And just, just go back and be like, God, I fucking hate the socialists. <laughs> oh, man. It was really frustrating seeing all the hard work that the capitalists were doing and none of the, <laughs> the support that these dirty filthy poor people were giving them they gave them no support <laughs> oh man you can be a lot more honest when you're poor can't you <laughs> but you know what the worst part of samurai cop was the poor people sleeping on bus benches yeah that, that was the worst sense. <laughs> god i hate seeing that we should really do something about them like move them somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> just put get them all on the bus benches <laughs> <laughs> they should get on the bus and get sent straight to mexico <laughs> unironically keep in mind audience we're speaking unironically that'll be a big indicator anytime you're like hey i know that our podcast is known for it's like tongue-in-cheek takes on some very serious issues but on the note of capitalism being more important than human lives we are not joking we're very serious capitalism making money more important than human lives let them die we don't need them <laughs> God, I just saw a video the other day where it was, uh, where it's like, would you slap this baby for $20 trillion? And so somebody, like, cuts away and they're like, I don't think you understand what $20 trillion means. For $20 trillion, I could buy countries, plural. Let's just, like, drop this down a little. Let's say, let's say I slap this baby for $20 billion. I could still buy companies. I could still own some of the biggest companies. Let's drop it down here. $20 million. And he gets all the way down. It's like, for $20, damn straight I'll slap that baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> you mean for one quarter? I get one quarter every time I slap this baby? I'm going to work my way up to 20 billion. Oh, God. Well, you know, we've wasted enough of everybody's time here. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to sort of last minute bring up? Uh, we're, we're definitely a little over time here. God, um, every time we watch these movies, I'm like, who can I recommend this to? I feel like this is the most solidly middle ground for that in a while. Because usually it's like, it's something like Four Christmases, where it's like, hey, you want to watch a, a silly Christmas movie? You know, you can recommend that to just about anybody. They'll enjoy it. You slap Titan down in front of somebody and they'll be like, wow, I didn't realize you were fucking weird. <laughs> And then, you know, there's shit like this where it's like, it's just far enough out there where like, if you showed it to somebody and they brought up some of the like heavier themes, you could have a conversation about it. And if, you know, they'd missed all of that and they're like, wow, that was a really crazy crime drama where they were trying to, and, and the bad guy died. And I, I, I guess they were all bad guys. And it's like, but I don't get that. It's like, cool, man. You're, uh, at least you enjoyed it. Anybody can enjoy that, and anybody who, like, really digs down into the themes of it will really enjoy it. I thought, for some reason, I don't know if this just, if you've just colored my vision on this in some way. For some reason, when you said, and you slapped Titan in front of somebody, and they're like, okay, cool, so uh, I didn't know you were, and I thought you were going to say, French. <laughs> you <laughs> Oh, I didn't know you were like that. What do you mean? Like gay or, or transsexual? No, French. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were like baguette. I thought you were like a cheeseburger. <laughs> God, I watched all of season one. And uh, really, the only thing that brought me into season two was how far you shut down the French. And, um, <laughs> and you know, so far we're... We're like four, five, six episodes into the second season, and uh, no French shitting to be seen. That's why we're losing subscribers, but <laughs> that's gotta be it. You know, we're, we're <laughs> failing. We're failing only because uh, <laughs> because we're we're lacking our, our good biting commentary on how much Americans hate French people. If there's anything the Koreans love more than ambiguous villains, it's hating the French. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm surprised we're not, like, more well-loved by the Germans. There was a whole period of time where Germans just shit all over the French, so... I don't know. 1940s. <laughs> I think the French are just rife with reasons to be shat upon. I do agree that this movie is sort of that perfect, like, middle ground, where there's so much interesting stuff to talk about, but a lot of, like, people would watch it and sort of just say, like, oh, it was kind of cool. It had, like, you know, a guy got stabbed. That was neat. I don't know. And if they don't get, like, the nuance of it and, like, some of the more interesting things, you can just say, oh, cool, so you're, like, dead to me. And that's, like, a fun thing to have in your pocket. Be able to whip that out and say, oh, hey, watch this. And when they come back to you and they're not like, oh, man, I love how it talked about, like, medical issues and, like, capitalism and, like, the struggle of poor people and all these other things. Violence begets more violence. You know, it was, it was very beautifully done and the, the editing was very fast and it didn't waste any time. All these different, like, cool points about the movie. If they don't say all that, you can just be like, don't talk to me anymore. I'll let you know when we do an episode about the next Samurai Cup. There's some people who you go to see a movie with and you care about hearing what they have to say about it. And there's some people you go to see a movie with because you got nothing else to do that day and you're like, might as well. You yeah, know, gonna... I think I told you about me going to see Black Adam and I was like, you know, my buddy there was like, I thought the movie was great. And I was like, yeah, you know, there was just some things that I didn't really like about it. And he's like, oh, really? What is that? And I talked about how they, they did that whole thing where they're like, you know, if it's 
not your country and it's not your altercation, you don't have a say in the matter. And I thought like that was a really interesting thing to be bringing up in this multinational world that we're fucking growing up in. And he's like, I just kind of liked how uh, the hero was willing to kill people. I thought that was neat. And I was like, I mean, that's that's neat, but it's not like new to the fucking genre. Yeah. And it's and it's not good unless you actually talk about it, because there's a lot of interesting things to say. Can a hero kill people? If they don't talk about that, though, then it's not really in the movie. It's just kind of there as like window dressing. Yeah. Like there's a couple of times where they're like, hey, Black Adam, please stop killing people. That's not what heroes do. And it's like, no, 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 I'm removing the problem. And, and like then later on, he's like, I didn't kill them. And it's like you dropped them out of a plane. And it's like, but I knew you were going to catch them. Teehee. Don't don't woo casual like attempted murder away. You don't get to woo away. You know? <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right. Woo <laughs> Zeddy. I, I didn't kill them. I just oh, let Lord. them go. <laughs> Ooh, woo. Holy Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like... Do you think that before life. before the end of The Rock's like career in filmmaking, he'll eventually say the word zaddy? <laughs> zaddy? Yeah, do you think? Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't the it be nice? The, <laughs> the predictions we really want to hear you make. Right. But hey, we've, we've been on here a little too long. Let's go ahead and call it a day. Uh, there's a million more things to talk about with this movie. And honestly, there was really no way for us to talk about this movie in any kind of a concise manner. And everyone should really just count themselves as lucky for us not taking three hours on this thing because we probably really could have with this movie and really any of uh, Park Chan-wook's works. Yeah, I don't typically go after directors for anything in particular, but um, if this is pretty typical of him, I, I'm a fan. I'm a pretty hard fan here. Uh, to me, he's like right up there with Edgar Wright. Like just the editing is so well done and the, the film itself just has such a style to it. I think it is a good example of what you can expect from Park Chan-wook. We'll just, we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, That's... yeah, go, uh, go go see for yourself or, or so, I don't know. I don't want to ham fist it like that, but uh, hey, you got what it, go watch the fucking movie. Actually, you should have watched the movie before we got here. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I'd really prefer it if you would watch the movie before we get to this point in the podcast. Thank you very much, Christ Almighty. <laughs> <laughs>